Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody. I wanted to uh, start out this morning a bit uh, participatory. I have uh, just a quick one uh, question survey for us, and uh, you can just uh, participate by a show of hands. How, how many of us uh, would say this morning that we would like to have good, godly character in our own lives? Okay. Might be a few outliers. I missed you if you're just not participating at all. Um, I, I, I think that would be a truism for us this morning that, that most of us, you know, uh, I know you took it upon yourself to come into a church this morning, and so I, I can assume some things about you, and, and I think that's something most people would recognize and realize and affirm, that we want good godly character in our own lives. And in fact, God wants good godly character in your life. You know, one of the testaments of the new uh, of the Bible is that uh, God with his followers, his people is uh, conforming us to the image of Jesus. There is this work that is going on in our lives. And that's what we're talking about with this study in the book of Nehemiah being built to last, uh, that it's not about the wall they were putting up, but it's about us. And so one of the other really um, uh, specific things we see in the New Testament that we should begin to uh, key in on is how that process actually takes place in our lives. And so I like that, you know, we, we know that we are supposed to be going on the path towards Jesus, that Jesus is an example for us as well as our Savior. And so one of the uh, just incredible statements that's made about Jesus in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, verse 8, one of the things it says about Jesus in his own development as being the incarnate Christ on this world, world is that he said he learned obedience to the Father through what he suffered. And so I think for us, you know, asking that question, we all affirmed it, that we want good godly character in our lives. We're going to have to ask ourselves the question like, okay, how do we actually develop that in our lives? And so I wanted to uh, quote the, the great philosopher Ronnie Coleman. Um, if you don't know who that was, he, he's not a philosopher. He's actually a bodybuilder. He's from Arlington, Texas, too. Uh, but he won the Mr. Olympia bodybuilding competition eight times. Uh, so after, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he's kind of considered, like, the most prolific bodybuilder. And he has some truth for us this morning. This is what he said. He said, everybody wants to be a bodybuilder. Nobody wants to lift heavy weight. And I think that's true of us as people and something we can recognize. There's usually um, these things that we would like to take place in our lives, in our character, in our hearts, in our minds, in our faith towards Christ Jesus, but we might not actually like the process that gets us there. And so that's one of the things we see over and over in the scriptures is that there is this process that God is bringing us through to unite us to Jesus Christ, to grow us into the people of God. And parts of that process might not be the things we choose for ourselves. But one of the things we can also look around life and realize is that um, in order for us to be strong as an individual or a person, one of the necessary requirements is to have resistance in our lives. And that might not be something we like, but it is a reality that resistance can develop and bring out strength in our lives. In fact, you know, most forms of exercise, they actually call resistance training. Going back to Ronnie Coleman giving us some advice right there that everybody wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift heavy weight. Oftentimes we would avoid or do everything we can to avoid the very thing that might bring about the result we are looking for. 
And in fact, just as people, uh, we are made for resistance. We actually need it in our lives. And so every single day we are going through some form of resistance just by being awake and being alive and walking around on this earth. And it's such a reality for us that one of the biggest issues with people going into space for long periods of time is that their bodies are experiencing less resistance because there's not gravity. And so one of the big issues with people going up to the International Space Station is for about every month that they're up there, their bones lose about 1% of their own density. And so and we can see that reality that if um, we want strength to be brought about in our lives, a necessary ingredient for that strength is resistance in what we are actually doing. And so that's going to be the backdrop of where uh, we're set up today in the book of Nehemiah. I would just invite you to turn to chapter 4. Um, and so that's where we are. We've had the first couple of weeks together uh, setting up this story and talking about uh, what God um, is teaching to these people and hopefully just humbly trying to apply it to our own lives so that we can walk closer with Jesus. And so uh, kind of where we are in the story last week, we talked about how uh, the organization uh, began to come together and Nehemiah was assigning different people to the different gates and the different sections of the wall and people were jumping into the work of God. So things have been going well. And so in a Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, they are going to begin to encounter resistance. And so before we even get into the text of the scriptures, I just want you to reflect on a question in your own heart and mind. As we go through life and we encounter resistance in every um, different type of way and manner, when we do, do we view that resistance as opposed to the work of God in our lives, or do we view it as part of the work of God in our lives? And that might seem subtle, but it is an important distinction because all of us are going to have different things going on in our lives. And in our head, there's probably something like, oh, I want to accomplish this, or I want to do this, or I want to see this happening. And so when obstacles begin to get put in our way, we can start to ask ourselves, like, why is this happening? I'm just trying to do this awesome thing for God, or I'm trying to be faithful, or I'm trying to do, uh, be a good parent, or whatever it might be. And so we might ask ourselves the question, like, why is this stopping the work of God in my life? So we need to realize, is resistance opposed to the work of God in our life, or is resistance part of the work of God in our lives? As we said in the first week we jumped off with Nehemiah, there's going to be these themes that recur throughout the book that we want to hone in on. And so the theme I want you to have in your mind this morning is the reality that we as people are tempted to focus on the project instead of being dependent on God. We are tempted to focus on the project instead of being dependent on God. And if that's taking place in our life, it's going to be resistance that reveals where that focus is. Would you read with me in Nehemiah chapter 4? Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O oh, our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. 
Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And on the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will, know, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We'll pause right there. So as we can see just from the story that is transpiring, as soon as progress begins to be made on their project, resistance is mounted against them. And so we're going to talk about that today, this idea of resistance in our lives and maybe what God might be using that resistance for. But typically we do face resistance in all the different areas of maybe where we're trying to go through life. And it usually can kind of come about in one of two forms or maybe both simultaneously. And we can see that within the story. So I'd say the resistance they are facing is both an external opposition, but then they are also facing internal discouragement. And you can see that right within the story. So they have an external opposition. There are people who do not want them to accomplish what they are trying to accomplish. And so that starts out at the very beginning of the chapter. As soon as progress begins to be made, there is an external opposition raised against the people of Israel from accomplishing this work that they're doing. But then also, if you would look with me back in verse 10, it says this, In Judah, it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So there's the external opposition, but then there's also another thing that begins to creep in in the story, and that's an internal discouragement. So we have both of those things going on right here. And another big thing we can clue in on from the Word of God is that one of the, the biggest indicators in our own personal life, if our focus is on the projects we are trying to finish or on dependence on God, one of the biggest indicators we will have is if we treat prayer as a first option or a last resort. So right now we can see with Nehemiah, he's keeping a really good perspective for himself and for the people. So you notice it in verse 4 and in verse 9. So story starts off, and so first thing that happens is the people that are opposed to the work that they are doing begin to make fun of them. So ver very often, like so right at the beginning, Sanballat, he starts uh, casting all sorts of things at them. In verse 4, immediately we get a prayer. 
So they are uh, receiving external opposition. They are being made fun of for the work they're trying to do. And immediately, Nehemiah turns to the Lord and begins to pray. And we have that prayer recorded in verse 4. And so we get past that prayer. Next level of opposition begins to mount itself a little bit higher. And, you know, they're going from making fun of you to planning to kill you. Uh, It's escalating. And so immediately in verse 9, we see it again that they sought the Lord. And so you can see even within their own strategy as a people, they are treating prayer as a very first option and not a last resort. And so as you go through your own life, let that be an indicator of where your focus is. As you encounter obstacles in your path, what is your default position? Do you try to figure out every possible way within your own human understanding and your own human ability to accomplish it? And then when all those things fail, do we turn back to the Lord and ask what he's doing? Or do we start with prayer as a first option when we encounter resistance in our lives? Where is our focus as we go through our lives? Are we focused on the projects we want to accomplish or are we focused on dependency on Jesus? You know, as I've just uh, been within the church and I've been following Jesus the majority of my life, uh, there's one of those verses I think that uh, for, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and have been on this journey for a while, uh, we like to look to the end of Paul's life. And so when he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he's nearing the end, there's that verse, you know, that Paul gets to utter. And I think it probably sticks in most of our hearts and minds that, you know, he's near the end of his life and he, and he says what he's done. You know, he says, I've run my race. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. And I think any, I know for myself, anytime I hear that, there's just like this kind of this deep movement in my heart. Like, I want to get to the point where I can say that. You know, as, as my time, however long God gives me, is beginning to wrap up, I want to be able to utter a similar type statement in honesty that, you know, I, I ran my race. I kept the faith. I fought the good fight. I did the things God called me to. And I think that would be something else if I asked you for another show of hands. A lot of us would want to be able to make that statement towards the end of our life. And I would just say one of the biggest uh, ways we'll be able to get to the end and say that is if we learn to use prayer as a first option. Because the thing that God is building within us and how he is building us to last is a deep and abiding dependence and union with Jesus Christ. And the, one of the ways we can cultivate that in our lives is being fervent in prayer. And I'm talking um, times of gut-wrenching, completely honest and transparent, alone before our Heavenly Father, crying out to Him for His help and for His guidance and for His comfort. Not just platitudes occasionally offered when we need something for Him, but I'm talking about prayer as a first option in all the different areas of life. When we encounter resistance, when we encounter opposition, are we turning to the Lord? Are we fervent in prayer? Are we going to be able to say at the end of our lives that we fought the good fight, that we ran our race, and that we kept the faith? Is prayer a first option? So as the walls go up, the gates are being rebuilt, resistance begins to mount. And I know, uh, I think for all of us, whenever things don't really go according to plan, we would probably view that like something has gone wrong. But let me just encourage you in an area real quick with external opposition in your life. Um, Anything worth doing is going to result in some resistance coming into your life. 
So the fact that you are experiencing opposition is not a sign that something has gone wrong. It might be a sign that you're actually doing something right. And so one, that's one of the things we should recognize about this reality of us facing opposition is that it doesn't mean something's gone wrong because anything worthwhile doing is probably going to make that happen in your life, both externally and probably you have to battle some of that internal discouragement. So if God is doing a work in your life, resistance is probably going to be a part of it. And so don't be discouraged just on that um, first reality that if something is being in opposition to you, that's a good sign. That means there is a work being done in your life. And so as the Jewish people, they are encountering this external resistance. You know, if we want to try to apply it to our own lives, um, I, I think there are some things we can key in on. For most of us, uh, unless we're in some very rare circumstances, for most of us, our external opposition is probably not going to be people literally trying to kill us. Um, I don't know your life, so I could be wrong, but I would say, by and large, that's probably not the external opposition most of us are facing as we leave this building today. But one of the reminders I do want to make sure you are aware of is what the Bible describes about your life and mine and the realities we live in is that we live in a battle every single day. And so uh, Ephesians chapter six is one we should all be aware of in the Bible. And you might've heard it at different points. It's the part that talks about the armor of God. And so what it describes is that every single one of us, whether we are willing to recognize it or not, are in a spiritual battle for our lives. And so all of us do have external opposition. It might just not be somebody literally trying to kill us, but you do have an enemy. And that's what the Bible describes, and that's what I, am, I completely believe, that there is a spiritual reality to the world that we sometimes neglect to our detriment. And so what the Bible describes is that you have an enemy that has a plan and a scheme to undo the work of God in your life. You do have external opposition. And so I want to offer that reminder that we do live in an Ephesians 6 world. We are in a battle. And that's never going to be clearer than when we are actually trying to step into the work God calls us to. And so once again, opposition is not a negative thing. Opposition is a reality if we are actually doing the things God calls us to. If you are not facing any form of opposition in your life, it might be because you've shut down and you're not actually engaging in the work God wants to do in your own heart and mind. So we need to remember that we are in this Ephesians 6 world that is going to be contingent on, upon us to take on a spiritual armor to engage in a battle in the way God has called us to, to fight this external opposition so that we can continue to proceed towards Jesus. Jesus Christ. And I think verse 10, or I'm sorry, verse 14 is to me um, one of the biggest mindsets we could take in facing external opposition. This is what he says. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. This is our position when it comes to facing external opposition. That we're to pause. We're supposed to remember that God is greater than any challenge we could ever face because what God really wants us to do is to take our focus off of our pet project and remember that we're supposed to be dependent upon him. I think this is really clear in the scriptures. If, if you would, we're going to flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, because it's just one of these incredible passages where, where Paul learns this reality, and I think this is what he is communicating. 
Um, because Paul, if, if, if you look at his life and if you're kind of familiar with it, uh, was constantly doing things for God. You know, and it's things that God called him to do. And so he uh, evangelized all over the known world, was one of uh, the, the biggest tools God used in the spread and proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. So he's constantly uh, church planting. He's constantly evangelizing. He's constantly having uh, all these things that God is using him to do. Uh, but we get this passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that's pretty incredible. It's when Paul experiences some opposition. He experiences something external that is a hindrance to the things he wants to do. And this is what he says, uh, starting in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12. It says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." I think that's the exact thing I'm trying to get across in Nehemiah chapter 4. That Paul, obviously called by the Lord to engage and act in the areas around him, who's been doing great things for God, encounters this spiritual external opposition to his life. And we don't know, I don't know exactly what that means. A thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, something was going on in his life that to him was hindering what God was calling him to do. And so like a faithful follower of Jesus, he asked God, he pleaded with, him, with God three times to remove it. And what does God say? He says, I'm enough with this. And I think that is the message we need to internalize today, is that if our goal is intimacy with Jesus, opposition might be the very thing we need to realize and learn it. And so external opposition is not a negative thing. It means we're uh, attempting something worthwhile, and it might be the very thing God uses to bring about uh, that depth and closeness with Jesus Christ and so we do have to face those external battles, but we're also going to have to face internal battles. And so that's what I said, it, as it says in, in verse 10, it talks about how it, it doesn't say from the outsiders, it's actually from inside. It says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. I think that's a pretty loaded statement and it makes me reflect on just lots of situations I've encountered in my own life, but also just in the church as a whole, as God's called me to pastor people. And I've uh, had um, this, this time in my life where I'm walking with people through different difficulties. Uh, none of us are getting through life unscathed. And so just depending on our story, whatever has transpired in our past, all of us have a level of rubble in our life, we could say, um, maybe just relationally, maybe uh, from family systems, maybe just uh, extreme circumstances that we've had to walk through. Like all of us have a level of brokenness, and that can just result in, in baggage, 
You know, none of us are getting through this life without some level of baggage. It might just vary on how much or how we're dealing with that baggage. And so I know as I've walked with people and in my own life, kind of, I know those kind of dark corners where I want to press the things that I don't really want to talk about, that I haven't like figured out in my own heart, my own mind, why I struggle with or why this affects me the way it does. And so I know there is this temptation, like when it's kind of off in the corner, it feels manageable. And so there are those situations that it's like, you know, you know, I want to work on my unforgiveness, but I, I know if I open that door, it's just going to all come flooding out and be a huge mess. And I think that's the reality that the Jewish people find themselves in. They're like, okay, we're going to rebuild the wall. And so they start and like, they put a gate together. And it's like, oh, it looks kind of good. And then you kind of look over and it's like, man, there's still a whole lot of junk I'm going to have to deal with. And so when they look around and see the amount of rubble that is still left of their city, they're discouraged. The strength of the workers fail when they see the amount of rubble. And that's going to be something we're all going to have to deal with. And I would say just guessing on our context of where we are, that that's going to be uh, more of the reality we're going to have to fight against than, once again, I don't know of anybody plotting to kill us this morning. And so that internal discouragement is not to diminish the, how that can have an effect on us today. It might seem like a, a lesser opposition or a lesser resistance than something external. But, uh, you know, I, I know one of the biggest inhibitors from me following Jesus is me. And so what's going on inside of my own heart and mind can have a profound effect on my ability to follow the Lord. Uh, So personally for myself, um, and probably there's some other uh, guys in the room that can relate to this, um, uh, I think the Navy SEALs are really cool. Um, And so if I had had an option uh, to maybe not be a pastor, there's always in my head, like, could I have made it through? Um, It's probably no. But uh, so I've, re- I've read several books on uh, different Navy SEALs who've written. If a Navy SEAL has written a book, I've probably tried to get my hands on it. Uh, but one of the things that has gone on around the Navy SEALs is that their training has gotten very kind of famous. And so you've probably seen a movie depiction or heard it talked about, but uh, the training for the Navy SEALs is considered one of the hardest, if not the hardest military trainings in the world, because I believe there's about an 80% attrition rate. So of all the, the guys who sign up to become a Navy, Navy SEAL, only about 20% make it through. And so if you read about it, you'll, you'll see this thing that's stuck in there pretty often, uh, that they say that the training is uh, 10% physical and 90% mental, which I always kind of think, that's, what a load. You know, they're, <laughs> they're doing, you know, five-mile open water swims and running and staying awake all day long and uh, all those different things. But they would say that, you know, it's, it's 90% mental and 10% physical. And, and the reality of their training is that uh, the hardest obstacles you have to overcome are not the ones that are outside of you, but the ones that are inside of you. And I think that's what they mean. Not that there isn't this massive physical component, is that you can always um, do more physically and externally than you think you could ever do, but if you can't win the own battle in your mind, you're never going to make it. And so their training is um, designed to expose that, that they're left with people who just don't know how to quit because they can fight that battle of internal discouragement better than anybody else. And so for us, we need to recognize that if we're looking around at our lives and we have this uh, big goal over here of, I want to follow Jesus, but then we, we look at the wreckage and the baggage that is our past, 
We're going to have to fight that battle of internal discouragement and make some decisions about how we're going to proceed through that level of resistance. Because we might be wanting to take that step of faith and we feel like God's pulling me in this direction. God, you want me to go here, but I'm not sure if I can because of this stuff in my past. And that's going to be a serious battle we all face in our lives is that internal discouragement. If I begin to poke at those different sore spots in my life, it might just feel like too much rubble to overcome. And so how do we face discouragement? Once again, I want to just repeat, we have to treat prayer as a first option. Our lives are not unknown to our Savior. We might be sitting in this room and you might feel unknown that there's nobody else in here that knows the thoughts you have or knows what you've been through or knows the anger you hold on to. And that might be true, but you are not invisible from the God who made you. And so if you're looking at your life and saying, there's just too much rubble, I can't even begin this process, treat prayer as a first option. You know, as, as a church, it's one of the things that we want to uh, champion, and we've even kind of put it into our, our strategic plan um, that collectively, as followers of Jesus, we want to grow in our emotional and relational health. And maybe that just kind of sounds too, too much feelings uh, for you, but the reality is that none of us are getting through this life unscathed, and so we do have rubble and brokenness. And so um, if our goal is following Jesus, Jesus, we, we have to have a place where we're actually starting to clear that rubble so that the work of God can continue. And so if you're looking around your life and you think there's uh, too much work to be done, it's because God is actually doing that work. And so opposition or discouragement aren't necessarily bad things. It means something's actually taking place. And so as a church, as we say growing in emotional and relational health, uh, how we've phrased it is that um, collectively as a church family, we want to deal with our baggage biblically, authentically, and responsibly. And that's important. You know, we want to make sure that there is a safe space within the church that we can drag all of those areas of brokenness into the light because um, uh, the first way we deal with our discouragement is prayer as a first option. But the second way that is clear in the scriptures is that we deal with our discouragement in community. And so we see this right here in, in Nehemiah. If you look right after verse 10, where it says, you know, the strength of the workers is failing. They say there's too much rubble. Immediately after that, the call goes out to all the other people and everybody was brought into the city. And so if you look in verse 13, it says, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. So there is a congregation together to hear this message that the rubble is not too great if we uh, fix our eyes on God and we stand in the gap for one another. There's nothing that God can't accomplish that he's promised to accomplish. And so if you are facing discouragement about the rubble in your life, I would say bring it in to the church. We want to be that place that lives out those commands of scriptures where it tells us to bear one another's burdens. Like life is going to be very difficult to get through. And if you're in isolation, it might be next to impossible. And so one of the greatest gifts God has offered to us is the community of faith 
that we were not made to walk through life alone. And if it had just been Nehemiah trying to clear up the rubble of Jerusalem and rebuild the wall, it clearly would have failed. But where God has put people around us to be encouraged, for others to stand in the gap, to walk alongside us, and to continue to point our eyes back to Jesus, there's nothing that our God can't overcome. And there's no battle that's too big for him. And that's why we're going to sing those reminders and we're going to beat that drum all day long. Be here together. Don't just have Sunday morning as that uh, checkbox where uh, you're here for about 45 minutes and you come in at the first song and then leave before the last song's over. We want to know you. And if you're walking through life alone, this is just an invitation for me right now. Like, we want to know you. We want to know the junk. We want to know the strengths. We want to know the weaknesses. We want to walk alongside you because that's what Jesus has done for us. Um, Another Bible verse that's just one of those ones that always kind of resonates deeply with me is uh, Matthew 11, 28. And it's uh, an invitation from Jesus to everyone. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. And that's a pretty incredible invitation because there's a lot of things happening in it. Um, It's not an invitation to do nothing. It's an invitation to labor, but it's a labor next to Jesus that the labor results in rest for your soul. It's an incredible invitation. And I think that's still true this morning. And one of the things I want to emphasize, that there is still this invitation from our Lord and Savior, and he's brought his people together for that very purpose, that we get to labor together to clear up the rubble and junk of our lives. We get to labor together to step into the broken places of this world that God has called us to next to Jesus in that labor when done rightly with our Savior will provide us with rest for our souls. I would like to uh, finish out the rest of the chapter with you guys. Uh, So picking up in verse 15, this is what it says. When our enemies heard that it was known to us And that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So that's where Nehemiah 4 wraps up. And as you can see, you know, although there is this opposition, things are still, I would say, going relatively well. 
You know, so Nehemiah is doing the work as a leader of keeping the people's focus on God and stepping into the things they're supposed to. And so there's, there's always this temptation at times, definitely when, you know, preparing a sermon uh, or just trying to teach or instruct, um, there's this temptation to always want to just kind of put a bow on everything. It's like, hey, if you've got some junk in your life, uh, if you pray and come to church, everything will get better. And Nehemiah 4 kind of lends itself to that. It's like, okay, things are going well. Um, but then we're going to have Nehemiah 5 through 13 to also deal with over these other weeks. And so one of the things I, I also wanted to just address is that um, the, the Bible very accurately reflects how complicated life is. And so it has these uh, incredible teachings that we believe are directly from God that instruct us and point us towards Jesus and give us advice on how to live rightly in God's world and how to um, do what is moral and do what is correct and how to be united to God. And so there is this temptation at times like, okay, hey, if we just do these couple of things, everything's going to work out nicely. And, and that's not really the picture that the Bible paints if you take it as a whole. And so I, I feel uh, so often when we get these different stories, it's, it's very tempting to just always kind of end it on the high note. You know, uh, God rescues the people out of slavery in Egypt, and then they um, miraculously, God parts the Red Sea, and they all make it through and escape. And then they immediately make an idol and start worshiping a false god. And then they disobey, and whole families are wiped out. And then God uh, leaves them in the desert for 40 years. There's, there's this temptation always to end these moments on a high note, but that's not typically reflective of our lives. And so all of us have probably been through difficulty at certain points, and we kind of probably hit that moment like, okay, that difficulty, that situation, you know, I finally, I've wrapped it up, I've processed it, I've come to grips with it, I've put it behind me, but then there's the next situation. And that's what the Bible reflects over and over and over again. You know, I think about the, the story of David where, um, you know, has to fight Goliath, that goes well, but then the king wants to kill him. So then he's on the run for several years, but then he's finally installed as the king and finally brings Israel to its um, highest prominence. And then he quits fighting and then he uh, takes Bathsheba for his wife and has her husband killed and that splits his family. And then one of his sons tries to kill him. Um, over and over again, we see this throughout Scripture that uh, although there are high moments and low moments, over and over again, um, that the reality is that there's not simple, quick fixes, because I want to bring us back to our theme. We're always going to be tempted to focus on the project instead of our dependence upon God. And so we're not going to hit this point where all of the problems are fixed, that there's no more opposition to face, that we no longer need resistance because we've been completed. Because the goal is not to complete all these different projects. Our goal is to be dependent upon Jesus. And that's not going to end until we get to see him face to face. And so as we walk through the book of Nehemiah and we see this story unfold for the Jewish people and how he God does call them to rebuild this wall. That is what he calls them to work on. The goal isn't really the wall. The goal is building them to last as a people. That no matter their circumstance, as Paul said, that he's learned the secret of much and in few, he can learn to be content and because God's grace is sufficient. And so we just have to offer that reminder and over and over again, What's being built to last is not our temporal projects. What's being built to last is our souls dependent on Jesus Christ. 
And so it is tempting to put a bow on it and to try to put it in a nice little package box, your three points you can walk out of here this morning. But that's not how life works. And I think most of us have already experienced that, that we are going to get through one trial and then it's going to be the next trial. And so over and over and over again, this life is going to remind us that everything else might fade or be lost or be broken But the one thing that will remain is an abiding hope on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me?